The scripture reading for this morning is taken from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And we'll be following that up from reading from the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 as well, verses 1 to 11. So, pardon me, John 15, the verses 1 to 12. John 15, the verses 1 to 12. Here, our Lord Jesus Christ teaches us, and he teaches his his friends and disciples as well, saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples." As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So far, a reading from John 15. And now we'll move ahead to Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, and we'll be reading from chapter 12, verses 1 to 11. And you'll be able to find that on page 1383 of your pew Bible. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising his shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to the point of bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For the Lord loves For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which you have become partakers, 
then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he to our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So again, our, our text will be the first portion of John chapter 15, as we read it earlier, where Christ says, I am the true vine, my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That will be our text for this morning. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, today we begin to look forward to the beginning of another home visit season. As usual, as is usual, men who have been chosen from among the congregation and appointed by God over his church will be going from home to home. As is their task, they'll talk about the lives and the health of our spiritual walk, which is to say they'll, they'll want to know what our walk with God looks like. And this is something that they have promised to do in their form for ordination. It says, I quote, take heed that the congregation abide by the pure doctrine and lead a godly life. It's part of their calling, and it's a beautiful one. This is no reason for resentment or suspicion that they, they come into our homes, but rather it's a reason for joy. It's a reason for joy because we know that Jesus Christ is our shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 5, in fact, he's described as our chief shepherd with shepherds whom he has appointed underneath him. So when these elders actually come into our home and when they visit with us and they ask after uh, our, our spiritual health and they come to encourage us and build us up, they are actually the under-shepherds of Jesus Christ, acting as his under-shepherds. So when we see them at work, we can feel in a very real way the shepherding hand of Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. It's a really special thing. Christ has given these men to you. And he's showing love and care to you and to your families through them. And so in light of that, the theme of this year, what we'll be talking about this year, is going to be especially appropriate in light of the fact that they're looking after our spiritual health our, and our walk with Christ. The theme for this coming year is taken from the Gospel of John, as we just read it. John 15, the verses 1 to 12, and it will be abide in Christ. And so today we'll be looking at the first part 
of this theme that we'll be working our way through. And we'll look at that under the following theme and points. In an after-supper walk, Christ teaches of the true vine. And we'll see, first of all, the situation into which Christ is speaking. Secondly, what he means by the true vine. Third, the pruning. And then finally, thriving and abiding. So you may be wondering, what exactly is the situation that's happening here? If you were just to look at our passage, especially if you were to look at it in your pew Bible today, you would see a whole lot of red. And that actually is the words of Jesus Christ as he's speaking to his disciples. But when is he doing this and where is he doing this? Well, at this point, Jesus Christ has just finished celebrating the last Passover meal that he will ever celebrate with his disciples. The Passover was a festival that God had given to the nation of Israel. And it was a festival that was given to them to remind them of the fact that he had brought them out of the land of Egypt. Their forefathers had been slaves in Egypt and God had worked many signs, wonders, and miracles to take them out of that land and to bring them to the land of Israel where they were settled at this point in time. Now, God also used this picture as God also used this event as a picture of a spiritual truth when he was speaking with his people. And he pointed to them, he pointed out to them that he was leading them out of a life of sin and he was leading them into a life of a special relationship with him. It's what's called a covenant relationship, this special relationship with him. Now, on the evening of this final Passover celebration that Jesus has just celebrated with his disciples, he's introduced them to a new celebration, one which has its roots in the old. It has the same picture of being led out of sin and being brought into a special celebration with him. And that's the celebration of what we call today the Lord's Supper. At the celebration of the Passover, which every Jew in Israel is joining them, Christ has given his disciples and he's given us a new covenant meal, which is to say a meal which marks the beginning of this new special relationship. And this is one in which not just one nation, which shares that common heritage, has, shares together, but it's one in which everyone who believes in Jesus Christ is included. Now, his disciples, as they're sitting around in this room and as, as they're reclining and they're eating and they're talking together and they're asking questions of Jesus Christ, and we can see that right before our passage here in John 14, they're speaking with Jesus Christ and they're having this dialogue with him back and forth. They themselves don't quite understand the full meaning of what Christ has done with giving them this meal. Nor did they understand that this was going to be the last supper that he would have with them. But Jesus did. And Jesus wanted to give them one last instruction as he led them out before he knew that he would be arrested and killed. So he himself says, arise, let us go from here. 
And he and his disciples arise from where they're reclining on on benches at this last supper. And they exit this upper room and they begin to make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane for an after-dinner walk and then for some prayer in the cool evening air. And the night is dark and cool. Since it's Passover, it's April. But in Israel, it being April means it's not quite as cold as April is here in Canada. As Jesus leads his disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, he leads them past these vineyards which are beginning to bloom. The season for pruning and the cultivation of vineyards has just gone by and now every blooming branch represents a branch that will later bear fruit. And it bears witness to the work of the gardener who has been there, the the vine dresser, which is what a gardener who works with grapes is called. Every branch that is plain and bare and maybe even dead has been trimmed away so that all of the energy of the plant will go into this fruit which is coming soon. And it's in this cool evening air as he goes to the place where he's going to pray alone and then be arrested and led away, surrounded by grapevines that are beginning to bloom. It's it's in this setting that Jesus gives his disciples one last message to take with them. And he says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. This is probably one of the more famous passages of the Bible and one of the more commonly preached passages as well. If you're familiar with church life, you'll you'll likely be familiar with this passage. But whether you've been born and raised in the church or you're a new visitor here today, what you may have missed is that Jesus is using what could be described as Jewish church language which is to say language which the disciples have been born and raised with, language that the disciples themselves would understand pretty well, but which we ourselves might not be quite as familiar with. And he's using this when he speaks of the vine, more specifically of the true vine, as he introduces something new to them. Now this little word true, in talking to that about a true vine, Jesus Christ is actually introducing them to an idea that is new. He's continuing to build on this pattern that he already started with the Last Supper, having introduced them, from, uh, introduced them to a new supper from the old way of doing things in the Passover. Now he's also introducing them to a new vine compared to the old vine that they would have been familiar with in their Jewish church language. But what exactly is it that they were talking about, that they would have understood so much about when he speaks about the vine? What exactly is it that Jesus is saying here? Well, Jesus is directing the the minds of his disciples back to some Old Testament passages. And one of the prominent passages that we'll look at this morning is Isaiah chapter 5 for a moment. Isaiah chapter 5, the verses 1 to 7. Now, the problem was, when the disciples were thinking about this, the problem was that they knew whenever a vine was referred to, whenever Israel was referred to as a vine, it was, it was usually something that was bad that was coming because God himself had said to his people that it's because they were 
a vine that was expected to bear good fruit, but a vine that instead did not bear good fruit, that they would be judged. So speaking of a vine, speaking of the people of God, using using a vine to describe the people of God usually meant judgment. And we see this coming out here in Isaiah 5, chapters 1 to 7. He says, now let me sing to my well-beloved in this passage, the prophet Isaiah, a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and he cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. So here he's describing the work of God in choosing for himself a people and protecting a people. And it says he dug it up and cleared it of stones, this vineyard, and he planted it with a choicest vine and he built a tower in its midst for protection and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes. The wine press would have been proof of this. But it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, when I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please, let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I'll take away its hedge and it shall be burned. So here he talks about taking away the protections that he put in place over his people. I'll take away the hedge and it'll be burned. Break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I'll lay it waste. It shall not be pruned or dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I'll also command the clouds that there rain no rain on it, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plans. He looked for justice, but behold, oppression. For righteousness, but behold, a cry for help. So the Lord speaks of his people as a vine, and he was looking for the good fruit of justice and of righteousness coming out from his people. But when he saw oppression and poor people who were crying out for help, that were under the rulers of the land, the Lord in the verses that followed promised judgment that would come down on them. And this picture of a vine or a vineyard and then judgment is one that comes out again in the prophet Hosea, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 21, the prophecy of Ezekiel in, in three different places, chapter 15, 17, and 19 of his book, and in Israel's book of Psalms, chapter 80, the verses 8 to 18. This is a picture that comes back time and time and time again. And so it was, very, it was very rarely a good thing when God talked about his people, the nation as a whole, as a vine. Because it was usually in relation to the bad fruit that they were bearing and the judgment that would come down on them as a result. So you can imagine what's going through the mind of the disciples as Jesus Christ speaks about himself, saying, I am the true vine. So, they would have understood and made the connection right away. The vine, the people of God. But then they would have stood up. They would have become alert and curious. The true vine? What's meant by that? Just as he gave them a new supper, marking the beginning of a new era in history. Here, he's showing them another part of something that's new, which is coming. 
a new covenant relationship, a renewed family under one God, one which still has its roots and still is, to a certain extent, a continuation of the old pictures, but one where he is central. So this isn't something that's completely new and foreign to them, but it's bringing with it something that's new and better. Where Israel had failed as God's people to bear fruit, Christ as a member of God's people by the flesh, but as God himself who came down to earth to bridge the gap, he becomes the true vine who is capable of bearing good fruit and fulfilling God's promises for all those who are found in him. In me, Christ is saying, a new era in God's redemptive history is unfolding. This is a new age in the Lord's plan to redeem for himself a people. In me, he's saying to his disciples, you will not be destroyed. You'll be like all these well-kept vines which are blooming all around us as, as we're walking through these gardens. In me, you'll bear much fruit. If you follow me, you won't be cut down and destroyed. But you can't have this apart from me. You can't have this apart from me. And this is what he was teaching his disciples and warning them about as well as he's walking through the garden. And this brings us to the pruning. One alarming part of this beginning part of Christ's message this warning becomes, that becomes very clear right away is this, that Christ says that every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now you can think of the pictures that they would have in mind of the fate of some of these other vines that were taken away, that had the protection removed from them, and so they were allowed to be destroyed, and the disciples would have a very clear picture of what this looks like. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. By the way, for those who are familiar with the doctrine of election, he's not casting doubt on God's eternal decree by saying this. There's a difference between election and the covenant. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, God teaches us, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons. That's a statement about election. That's a statement about God's eternal choosing. But here Christ is talking about the new covenant in our passage today. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about election. He's not calling God's choosing of his people into question and suggesting that somehow that if somebody that he has appointed from eternity should should fall away, that they can fall out of the grace of God. That's not what he's saying. But instead, he's telling us something about the nature of this new covenant, the nature of this renewed relationship that God gives his people in Christ. The point he's making is this. The only certainty that we can find for ourselves is to be found in Christ. There's no other way that we can have this certainty. The only certainty that we can find for ourselves is 
to be found in Christ. That's the only way to have this protection. It's the only way to have this life flowing through our veins. It's the only way to bear fruit, to be found in Christ, to be as much a part of Christ as a branch is a part of the greater vine. Now what he is saying here is that whoever rejects him rejects the opportunity to be a part of the covenant people of God because Christ himself is the vine and the people of God are only and can only be the people of God if they are joined to Christ himself. So what does this mean? What does it mean that they are joined with Christ himself? It means that they draw their strength and their life from him. That they receive the gifts that he gives just as a vine receives everything that it needs, as as the branch of a vine receives everything that it needs from the rest of the vine. Now the whole purpose of the branch of a vine is to bear fruit for that vine. And that, Christ teaches, becomes a problem when a branch on the vine does not draw strength and life from its source. It doesn't draw strength and life from Him, and therefore it doesn't draw fruit, bear fruit. And the disciples don't know it at this point in time as, as they're walking through the garden. But there is somebody who already fulfills this description. They fulfilled exactly what Christ is talking about here. As Jesus is speaking about this branch being taken away, he's thinking back to Judas. Judas, who was a close friend of Jesus and of all of the disciples for the last three years, living together, talking together, learning from his teacher, and being, spending time in fellowship with all of these fellow disciples who has now chosen to betray Jesus at this very point in time to be crucified. Judas was a man who was more interested in his own agenda and interested in his own money than he was in Christ's kingdom. And so he ended up cutting himself off from Christ. A vine has exactly one purpose in this world, we saw, to bear fruit. But his world, his whole world circled not around Christ, but around himself, and therefore he was not bearing fruit. He had cut himself off from the vine, and therefore he himself was cut off. He was released from the disciples to carry out his own ambitions. Jesus had told them that when they were having that last supper. He said, go, go and do what you have decided to do. And so he got up and he left. He was turned over by God to his own desires. And his very absence from the group of disciples that night was proof that he was a branch that had been taken away. Such a person will be cut off, Christ teaches. This is a very grave warning. To reject Christ is to reject life, beloved. The people of God are only and can only be the people of God if they are joined with Christ himself. And if we don't really care about finding our life in Christ, then we won't bear fruit. 
If all we care about is our own agenda, our own plans, our own schemes, we'll be just like Judas, bearing no fruit. And so the vine dresser will take away that branch. This is a serious reason for self-examination, beloved. Where do our priorities lie? Do we have a real and genuine desire to find our life outside of ourselves in Christ? Or are we so wrapped up in our own pursuits that when life starts unfolding in a way that doesn't leave us contented, we are willing to walk away from Christ? That we have no real desire in the meantime to bear fruit for Christ? The fate of such a branch is rather chilling. And send, Christ teaches us, his eternal judgment. But as our Lord's Supper form says so beautifully, all this is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts. We are aware of our many sins and shortcomings, the form says, and we don't have such perfect faith. We don't serve God with such zeal as he requires. And daily we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and with the evil desires of our flesh. It's true for us today. And boy, was it ever true for the disciples that night. And yet, even knowing the struggles in the hearts of his disciples, their willingness to be given over to fear, even with the knowledge that they will all abandon him, Within the next few hours, Christ says in verse 3, you are already clean. As those who are in Christ, they are still clean despite their shortcomings because it is God himself who makes them clean. And here's the que- where the question of pruning that Jesus Christ speaks of comes in. Pruning is when you have this branch of a vine that has all kinds of little shoots coming off of it. Suckers that take away energy. They'll take away energy from the vine, redirecting it from bearing fruit. And so the gardener, the vine dresser, he comes in and he cuts off all of those suckers to have the energy go in to bear fruit, to be redirected to bear fruit. Because the point of a vine is to bear fruit. And every true branch that does bear fruit will be pruned so that it can bear the maximum amount that it can. This goes for the believer too. And we read about that in the book of Hebrews. Every true child of God will be pruned. Which is to say they will be chastened and disciplined. Redirected so that they ultimately thrive and grow. The Father is the vine dresser. The vine dresser is our Father. This is what a good Father does because He cares about the eternal souls of His children and the impact that they will have on the world in the meantime. This is what a good vine dresser does because He cares about the health of the vine. And he cares about the harvest. Realize that this is a huge comfort for those who struggle in the faith. Especially those who struggle under the results 
of that pruning. It's a huge comfort because you are brought into the realization that every branch which belongs to the vine will be pruned. Every true child, as the book of Hebrews says, will be disciplined. The fact that we go through this pruning doesn't disprove the care of God. Rather, it proves the care of God because it's ultimately done so that we can bear more fruit. And what greater joy do we have than to know that it is the disciples that Christ is speaking to here, beloved? Because within hours we see that they are no different from us. That these very same disciples whom Jesus spoke to had a great struggle in their faith in the hours ahead. When the crowds, in their fear, when their crowds came with torches and swords and clubs to arrest their master, to arrest their friend, they all fled into the darkness. And there was shame for what they had done. Peter, for example, he wept bitterly after he had denied his Lord three times. But this didn't change God's work on him. This didn't change Christ's love for him. In fact, Christ used Peter's restoration after his resurrection to turn him into one of the most powerful leaders in the church, one of the most bold speakers. And you can read about this in the book of Acts, how this simple fisherman who at this moment cowered in fear, who denied his Lord, became a bold preacher filled with the Holy Spirit. God was pruning him so that he could turn him into that. God was cutting away his pride. God was cutting away his self-reliance so that he could turn him into that. So we remember that there is a very real warning and a very real promise in our passage here in John 15 today. The warning is this, that God is interested in our bearing fruit. And if we hold on to our sins too dearly, Reflect on those. Are there sins that you're holding on to dearly? If we hold on to sins too dearly, brothers and sisters, and boys and girls, these sins that will ultimately kill us in the end, spiritually speaking, and maybe even physically speaking as well, God will prune them from our lives. Just as any good vine dresser would act, God will act. He will bring it out into light. Just as any good vine dresser would act, just as any good father would act. He'll act to discipline us. He will act to cut it out. And that pruning can hurt. The longer we hold on to a sin, and the more it grows to suck life out of that vine, you you have that branch of the vine with fruit at the end, and you have this energy being redirected to something else. The more it grows, 
the more it will hurt when it's cut out. And so it's a call for us as well to beware of those sins and to cut them out because the vine dresser is coming. But even through the pain of sin coming to light and even through distractions to our faith that are taken away, which in themselves may not even be sins, it will also be proof. Proof that God sees you as a living vine. That he still sees you as a son or daughter and he wants his children to thrive and to grow and to bear fruit in the kingdom in this world. And in this we can take comfort. And so let us abide in Christ so that we can bear fruit and seek to leave all other distractions behind. And that brings us to our final point which we'll talk about briefly in closing. Thriving and abiding. So what does it actually mean to abide in Christ? To begin with, it's worth saying this. Too often this whole idea of abiding is over-spiritualized. It's this picture of, of, of finding something deep within yourself and some, some emotional connection. And our, our emotions go up and down. Our salvation is not found in our emotions, and we can thank the Lord for that. It's, not, it's really not that complicated. The very same John who wrote this portion, he remembers the words of Jesus later on in verse 7 as well. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire. So he speaks about the words abiding in us. And he goes on to further explain what's meant here in his second letter, which you can find closer to the end of your Bibles. Second John, the same John, he didn't just write a gospel, but he wrote three letters as well. And in his second letter, in verse 9, he says, He who abides in the doctrine, which is to say the teaching of Christ, the words of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. Now there's only one way to abide in his teaching. And that's to actually spend time listening to it and reading it. But not just listening to it and reading it, but also living it out. It's so important for the growth of the church here in Owen Sound to be in him, to be biblically literate, biblically fluent, to be in prayer, to be growing closer to Christ, and through that time to be, to be able to learn to love each other better and to love God more wholeheartedly. It's so important for us here in Owen Sound to do this, to grow in this. And this is also a reason why we can be so thankful for the work of our elders who will be going from home to home, encouraging us in this. The closer we are to him, the closer we'll be to each other, and the more able to forgive and show love and kindness. That being said, we are imperfect, and we're no different from those apostles who ran away. 
We know that daily we fall short of that perfect obedience to Christ. And we know and we confess that there is only one way to do it. And that's to be found in him. To receive that perfect life that he so freely offers. To receive it in the same way that uh, the branch of a vine can't help but receive the sap that flows through it from the stem. We can't live out a perfect life ourselves, but we confess that he has done it for us. And he is the vine and he will bear fruit. That he has ultimate, paid the ultimate price for our sins, making us his own possession and part of his vine. And so we turn from sin and we again live as he has led us to, as he calls us to. This is us abiding in him. But it doesn't just stop there because he also abides in us. When you fail and fall short time and time again, his word dwells in you to remind you of this. As you spend time in his word, it will dwell in you to remind you of this. The word himself, Jesus Christ, dwells in you to remind you of this. By his word and by him, the word, you are reminded that you are a part of the vine part of Christ and his life does run through your veins and so as you return to Christ in repentance and in faith and find your life in him you remind yourself that he did pay the price and that you are clean you remind yourselves that he did live the perfect life and he paid for you eternally and you remind yourselves that you are joined to him by the power of the Holy Spirit and because because of this you're given the strength to get up again, to continue living, even after those pieces have been pruned away, to bear fruit more eagerly. Because you are given the strength by the Spirit and live this new life that only He can give. Only as a branch, as part of the vine, the true vine who never fails, will we survive. Only by recognizing and truly believing this will we be able to thrive under the caring hands of our Heavenly Father who prunes us and shapes us. And only then, when we recognize this, believe this, and live in this, will we be able to bear fruit to His glory. And the fruit that we bear to His glory is a fruit that He will delight in because it comes from the vine. Amen.